Luke is our next study. The much-anticipated study through this gospel begins today with a brief overview of the dedication Luke makes in the first four verses. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is our text. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, what a fantastic opportunity you've given us here, Lord, to uh, in kind of a relaxed way just go through the gospel according to Luke. To read the words, to have them penetrate our hearts and have their effect as your Holy Spirit who lives within us, Lord, takes these inspired words and divides between our soul and our spirit and applies them in marvelous ways. I also pray for any who might be here today, Lord, who have not yet experienced salvation through Jesus Christ. We believe your Holy Spirit is working with them to testify to them and give them a witness that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world and their Savior in particular. Lord, as we begin this gospel, I pray that we would have a feel for it, Lord, of all the really neat things that you want to accomplish through our reading and study of it. Build in us anticipation and expectation that you're going to meet with us each time we encounter it, whether we're reading it on our own or studying it together. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you first loved us. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. There's been a lot of talk about Jesus this year. There was the controversy surrounding and then the box office success of the film, The Passion of the Christ. Peter Jennings hosted an ABC News special. It was called Jesus and Paul, The Word and the Witness. The Fox News Channel broadcast a special called Who is Jesus? The History Channel broadcast multiple programs relating in one way or another to Jesus Christ. All this talk is nothing new. There was a lot of talk about Jesus 2,000 years ago. Luke said in verse 1, many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. People were talking then just as they are now. Whether it's Mel Gibson, Peter Jennings, or one of the other correspondents, they are simply the most recent individuals who have taken in hand to set in order a narrative about Jesus. In the first century, the many narratives about Jesus were inaccurate. It seemed good to Luke to correct them by writing an accurate account with, he says, perfect understanding. Whether through ignorance or by design, the modern narratives are also filled with inaccuracies. 
They need to be corrected. Luke's gospel is just what we need to get the true and perfect understanding about Jesus. I think you agree that of all historical figures, Jesus was and is the single most important. All the more reason to portray him carefully. Stray but a little from the Bible, and you've no assurance Jesus saves you. You've no reassurance that he sustains you. Assurance and reassurance were on Luke's heart as he wrote his gospel with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We'll organize his introductory remarks around two points. Number one, you can look with assurance on the things you believe about Jesus. And number two, you can live with reassurance because of the things you believe about Jesus. First of all, in verses one and two, you can look with assurance on the things you believe about Jesus. Luke might be the one New Testament writer we can most identify with. He was either a Gentile or a non-Jewish Semite, making him the only non-Jewish author of the New Testament. Thus, he had a non-Jewish perspective, like most of us, and he wrote about issues that were important to Gentiles, like most of us. His writings have a broad view and scope of all mankind as he tells us there is no boundary the gospel cannot cross. Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, free and slave, Greek and barbarian, male and female, all are recipients of the good news about Jesus. The gospel is God's universal solution to the universal problem of sin. Luke doesn't say everyone will be saved, but he does say anyone can be saved. A little later in the gospel, Luke will tell you his theme. Quoting Jesus, he wrote, and I quote from Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what this gospel especially is about. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's you and I. Whoever you are, Jesus is seeking you to save you. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts, which means he wrote the most of anyone in the New Testament. Over 25% of the New Testament was penned by him. His Gospel records over 20 miracles, seven of which are unique. 23 parables, 17 of which are unique. Luke was what we would call a lay person, not a professional minister or missionary. You learn in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that he was a physician in what we normally call real life, but he dedicated himself to serving the Lord. His writing is peppered with medical observations and terminology. For example, his gospel begins with detailed accounts of the births of two important babies, John the Baptist and Jesus. I don't know if they had specialists in those days, whether he was an obstetrician or a pediatrician or not, but he pays particular attention to the medical details of these births. He used more medical terms than Hippocrates, the father of medicine. Luke wrote more about healing than Matthew and Mark combined. One of his favorite words is a Greek word we would pronounce sozo, S-O-Z-O, which I'm told means both to save and to heal. It has both of those meanings. The context in which you find it decides which meaning is meant, but it is insightful 
in that true healing is ultimately spiritual, then only physical. As a physician, Luke was himself a healer. He presented Jesus as a healer, but at a spiritual level previously untouched by medicine. Jesus was and is the great physician able to heal the soul and the body. There's an episode most of you remember where Jesus is teaching in a house and these people are trying to get to him with a man on a, uh, who's paralyzed and they can't get through the crowd and so they climb onto the roof and they break through the roof and they let him down on ropes in front of Jesus. Wow, wild stuff. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, time out, wait, I'd like to be healed. They get all mad at Jesus, not because of what he said about that, but because he claimed to have the power to forgive sins. And he says, oh, well, wait a minute. If you want to know if I have the power to forgive sins on earth, rise up and walk. And he accomplished the physical healing as well. But it's the same concept that we're getting at right now. The, the spiritual healing, that's the true healing. That's the real healing. Some of you have this freedom, and, and when you visit, folks that are in the hospital or maybe their family or friends and they're in very serious condition. You have the freedom to ask God for their healing, but to know that their ultimate healing is to go home to be with the Lord, ultimately spiritually fully healed. And so Luke has this perspective and imagine what it must have been like. I can't, but imagine what it must have been like to be a doctor in the first century. Not too much going on there in terms of technology and things like that. Similar to, you know, having a medical clinic in Riverdale, perhaps, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, just, I wouldn't go there, but I am just kidding. But anyway, uh, I'm sure that Luke, I mean, why would you become a doctor? I mean, you, you know, uh, it, it's to, to help and to heal and to bring health to people. And I'm sure Luke had many, many distressing failures with diseases and injuries and conditions that m medical science had no idea really how to treat at that time. And, and yet as a healer, how excited he must have been to encounter Jesus Christ who was healing the spirit and also capable of healing the body. Here was somebody that Luke had waited for his entire life, somebody that was embodying all the things that he desired to do for folks and much more, realizing that maybe he, if he could heal their bodies, how would that help them in eternity if they didn't know God? And so what a joy it must have been for him as a physician to know the great physician. Luke was one of those smart people who seemed as though they could do just about anything. You know, there's one in every family, the college kid. In addition to being a physician, he might have been a musician. Now, that's speculation because we see that there are four magnificent hymns recorded in his gospel. And so he had some interest in music, maybe more so than the other gospel writers. He was certainly a theologian, as we will see going through his writings. And he was a fantastic historian. He says that he had a perfect understanding of the history about Jesus. And so Luke was one of those guys that could do just about anything. He never names himself in either the gospel or the book of Acts. He is only named three times in the New Testament. He was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. 
There's some speculation among scholars that Luke and Paul may have known each other before either one of them was saved. Now, this is outside the Bible. It's tradition. But it's possible they knew each other uh, because they would have been students at around the same time at the University of Tarsus. Now, you think, why do I mention that? Because I want to sometimes bring us back to the point that these are real men. They're flesh and blood individuals like you and I. They, they grew up, they went to school, they had careers and, and jobs and different things like that. And just like you, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you went to school somewhere and, and you run into people that you went to school with. And then you find out, hey, uh, I'm a Christian. Oh, really, I'm a Christian too. Oh, how did you get saved? And, and, and it's, it's a joy and it's exciting. Or, hey, you're not a Christian? Well, let me tell you about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's possible that they had known each other prior and then knew each other in the Lord, and what a joy that was. At any rate, they traveled together. Uh, when we get to the book of Acts, you see many times, uh, you know, there's the pronoun we. We did this and we did that. When Luke was with Paul and his companions, other times he was separate from him. In the opening verses of the book of Acts, Luke again addresses himself to Theophilus. It's believed that Theophilus was a wealthy believer who sponsored the writing of both of the manuscripts. The two books, Luke and Acts, taken together, may have in fact been commissioned by Theophilus to assist the apostle Paul in his trial before Caesar Nero. Paul had appealed to Rome. Uh, they had accused him of treason. He had a right to appear before Caesar. Under Roman law, a written defense always preceded the trial, and it's possible that these two documents were his written defense. And so here, you know, Paul was coming for trial, and if you were uh, sitting on that tribunal, I'm not exactly sure how they did law in those days, but you would read the defense documents. And, and what a great opportunity to share the gospel and to talk about Jesus Christ. And so here you were, you know, in the very court of Caesar and them reading the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts as a defense for Paul. Whether his gospel and Acts were for Paul's defense or not, they were also to assure and reassure Theophilus in his faith. He was a Gentile who had accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. There was a lot of talk about Jesus, a lot of narratives but they were filled with inaccuracies. Theophilus needed to know the certainty of his belief in Jesus. So do you and I. Speculation about Jesus, whether in print or on film, it must be corrected by the truth from God's word. A little error goes a long way. Consider the first century Jews themselves. They were expecting the biblical Messiah to come as a conquering hero and throw off the yoke of Rome, freeing them politically. Their expectation kept them from seeing that Jesus was their Savior who came first to throw off the yoke of sin so that they could be saved. And so when He came, their expectation hindered them from receiving Him, and they rejected Him. What they misbelieved about their Messiah led them seriously astray. So too with us. Any misbelief about Jesus can lead us seriously astray. And so we want to rush back to the gospel accounts always because these are the true, perfect understanding of all that we need to know about Jesus Christ. We can hear other things. We can see other things. 
But we need to be careful not to let them creep into our understanding as if they're true, as if they're real, as if that's the way it was. This is the way it was. And God is praised in it. In Luke's gospel, we are looking on Jesus with assurance. And so in verse 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Many voices were telling the story of Jesus. For our purposes, only a few have survived, and only four are inspired by God. The modern narratives always make one of two mistakes, sometimes both. On the one hand, they subtract from the story of Jesus by denying the inspiration of Scripture and attributing the writing to mere men or women. Watch just about anything on the History Channel about Jesus, and it falls into the subtraction category. They start from a a premise that the writers of the Bible were mere men or women who were trying to make sense of historic events, uh, and they wanted to tell a religious story that might help people somehow. And then the experts come along, with the degrees after their name, the historians and the theologians, and they, they draw from other historic knowledge that they have found, and, all, and they give you a picture of what Jesus was, might have really been like uh, and how he was influenced by Eastern mysticism and Muslim thought and all this weird stuff to come up with what he came up with, and, and it's crazy. Uh, by the time you're done, you think, well, you know, who needs that Jesus? That Jesus can't save because in the Gospels he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But now I know he was a liar because he, he drew from all these other sources and the guys who wrote the Gospels weren't even guys probably. And so why do we study this? That is a good question. Just turn over to a sports channel. Or they add to the story of Jesus by inserting other accounts or interpretations. Uh, and, and again, very dangerous. Oh, that's the way it might have been. Okay, maybe. But pretty soon you're so far from what the gospel has actually said. Uh, you know, I, I have, I, I've told you I think that when I read about Moses, I always think about Charlton Heston. It's because as a kid, you know, we thought it was the religious thing to do to watch the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm not against watching the Ten Commandments, but I have to be careful when I'm talking about the Bible to make sure I'm not drawing from the movie. Can you imagine, you know, yeah, you know, here in Exodus, you know, you know where Moses was there and, and he uh, killed that guy, uh, you know, Vincent Price. Uh, you know, these images, they can be powerful, and we think, oh, wow, that was powerful. Wow. That's not a good thing sometimes. If it overpowers the truth of God's Word and what actually happened, or it sends your mind in a direction that God never intended. And so, we don't want to subtract or add to the story of Jesus. Our spiritual health and healing is too important to allow material to be added or subtracted from the Holy Spirit's testimony about the Lord. Luke was interested in those things which have been fulfilled among us. Another translation of these same words is those things which are most surely believed among us. The two possible translations bring out a twofold application of the words. First, Luke's gospel will show how Jesus fulfilled what the Old Testament scriptures foretold about the coming Savior of the world. 
And second, a proper presentation and portrayal of Jesus will assure us what is believed among us is the truth. Another way of putting this would be to simply say, first, know who you believe, and then second, know what you believe about him. When you write a paper in school, your teacher wants to know your sources and your resources. Luke named his sources and resources in verse 2. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. From the beginning qualifies the eyewitnesses. They were the ones who were with Jesus. They saw him, they heard him, they gave firsthand accounts of his ministry. Ministers of the word means at least two things. First, the eyewitnesses were empowered by God to preach about Jesus. And second, since Jesus is himself called the word, it means that these eyewitnesses who went about preaching were themselves witnesses radically changed by the message. And so it's kind of a, almost a play on words, but they were eyewitnesses, but because of what they eyewitnessed, they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their lives were radically changed, and they themselves became a witness to others. And so what we're getting here is a different kind of history, a completely new kind of history, a history that changes your life because you encounter in it the risen, living Jesus Christ who is making demands upon you offering you the forgiveness of sin and demanding that you admit that you're a sinner in need of that forgiveness. Delivered them to us is interesting to contemplate. In the first century, the message was delivered primarily through preaching the written word of God. Today, we have more means to deliver the message, more media, for example. I think we should be all the more cautious, though, in how we use the media. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. There's far too much emphasis on entertainment in the church today, on multimedia to create what is now being called multi-sensory worship. I wouldn't be good at it because I can't say it. <laughs> multi-sensory worship experience. Uh, we could have a lot of fun with this, but there's a lot of just wacky things that people are doing to be contemporary. The idea is that churches are shrinking, the Bible isn't relevant, the old ways of doing things aren't working, and so we need to, you know, amp up what we're doing and make it more contemporary. And so one suggestion is while the pastor is, and this is a real thing, I'm, you're not going to believe me, but this is real. One suggestion is while the pastor is giving his message or while the worship is going on, maybe over here there's an artist set up with his artist easel. And you can't really see what he's doing, but he's... <laughs> during the message. You know, now that wouldn't bother any. It wouldn't be a distraction at all, would it? And he's going through his art stuff, you know, and then after the worship or after the word then the culmination of this multi-sensory experience is for him to turn around his canvas so we can see the artist's conception of what just happened in our lives. That is some powerful, powerful stuff right there. And in the background, this weird music is playing. 
you know, and stuff. And there's all kinds of, anything that you can imagine that, that would be multi-sensory to say, whoa, wacky, this is the modern world, Jesus in the modern world, you know. People dig it. I don't understand it. We want to be contemporary without sacrificing the gospel itself. Uh, and I, I just don't understand it. The many narratives about Jesus can lead to doubt. You hear what the godless theologians and scholars have to say, the unsaved correspondence, and then you begin to wonder if what you've believed is accurate. Luke comes to you with scholarship, with history, on top of that, the inspiration of God to assure you of the truth. Sometimes you need further reassurance of the things you are already sure of. And so in verses 3 and 4, you can live with reassurance because of the things you believe about Jesus. Luke was writing to reassure Theophilus about Jesus. Put yourself in Theophilus's place for a moment if you can. He was a Gentile in the midst of what started as a Jewish movement. And even at that time, there were a lot of Jews who didn't want Gentiles even included in it. There was a big argument that Luke will deal with in the, in the book of Acts about how to even get saved. And there was a large contingent of people who said, if you're a Gentile, you can only be saved if you first become a Jew. And, and so this is what the Gentile had to face. And then Jews who were Christian were being persecuted by their own countrymen. And the Roman government was also beginning to clamp down on Christianity. Further, one of the greatest heroes of the faith, the Apostle Paul, was facing serious charges. And prior to that, there had been many martyrs. Stephen, for example. Theophilus needed reassurance about who and what he believed. Your situation is different, but it's really the same. Maybe it's an affliction. Maybe it's an adversity. External pressures, internal struggles. There is always something that comes along seeking to undermine your faith. To know who you believe and what you believe about him, that's what's going to keep you on a solid footing through those turbulent times. It's your living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is going to get you through with the joy of the Lord as your strength. And so very important that we know Jesus as he is presented to us by God in the scriptures and not some other idea about who he is or was that we got from anywhere else. And so verse 3, it says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account most excellent Theophilus. We know that Luke wrote under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, but he didn't say God told me to write or God inspired me to write or anything like that. He could have, and it would have been accurate. Instead, he said something that is really dear. He said, it seemed good to me. Now, I don't know why, but that really struck me uh, very powerfully this week. It seemed good to me. Serving God is good. It seems good to you. It's not a burden. It's never a bummer. It's not a drudgery. It's good. And it should seem good not only to you, but to those you are serving. Let me put it into a, a little bit of a different context. You know, sometimes uh, I've heard it said, we don't say it here, I hope we don't, 
But I've heard it said to motivate Christians especially. Sometimes people will say, you know, beloved, 90% of the work in this church is being done by 10% of the people. Well, man, you're in trouble because you're, you're part of the percentage that's not doing the work. Now, Luke, he didn't have that perspective. Luke didn't start his, his letter and say, Lord, how come I'm writing 25% of the New Testament? What's Peter doing? Isn't he a prominent guy? The head of the apostles? He's just got two little letters, Lord. While I'm slaving away, researching things I didn't even eyewitness, putting it down pen to paper, day after day, my practice, my medical practice is failing. Or how about Jude? What's that guy got to do? Like 22 verses is all he wrote, something like that. Now, it's funny, isn't it? No, it's not, because that's how we think. How come I have to serve in the Sunday school? Why do I have to do this or that? What are the rest of the people doing? Luke said, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It seems good to me. I can't wait to write my gospel so that I can get on with the book of Acts. And, and the book of Acts is interesting because it, though it ends in our Bible, it never really ends because it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the lives of believers. And Luke probably just, he said, well, Lord, I want to write more. And the Lord had to stop him. It seemed good to him to serve the Lord. If you're serving the Lord in any way and it doesn't seem good to you, you, you need to t- analyze that. Is the problem within you? Maybe you're serving in your own energy rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit. Very common. Uh, maybe it's the, uh, the context in which you're serving. You, you don't really have a like-mindedness with what the Lord has given you to do and the, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the authority or something like that that's over you. I don't know. But you have to analyze that because you should always think that it's good to serve the Lord. Maybe you're not really serving the Lord because you have, I don't know, a career or your kids are little or your kids are older. I mean, there's, you know, there any millions of excuses. It should seem good to you to serve the Lord. You should be chomping at the bit or champing. I forget which it is. Is it, who do you horse people? Is it champing or chomping? Champing. That's what I thought, see? I feel a lot more cultured having been at Erna's Elderberry House. I just want to get these things right. So, It seemed good. Just meditate on that. It seemed good to me. Just really a powerful thing for Luke to say. And then he said he had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. The words mean he had carefully researched and investigated all the things about Jesus that he would present and portray. Luke was not himself an eyewitness. He was a researcher, a historian. Now, you might object and say that his gospel is deficient since he was not an eyewitness, but you'd be wrong. Because legal professionals will tell you that evidence is preferred to eyewitnesses. The evidence doesn't lie. In the case of the Gospel of Luke, you have eyewitnesses who didn't lie because they were men and women filled with the Spirit of God. And you have evidence. And so it's an ironclad presentation of who Jesus is. So I don't really care who Peter Jennings thinks Jesus is or the guys on Fox News, or Mel Gibson, or anybody else. 
I only care what the gospels think about Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And I'm willing to submit myself to their presentation. If there's anything about Jesus they don't tell me, I must not need to know about it because it's not for my salvation or my sustaining. And so he said his gospel would be an orderly account. His gospel is very orderly. For example, in chapters 1 and 2, there are exactly 10 stories regarding birth and infancy. Five occur before Jesus was born. Five occur after he was born. And so there's a beautiful symmetry to the gospel. You know, a lot of times people have the understanding that when the Holy Spirit gets involved in something, it's crazy. Crazy spontaneity takes place all over the place, you know? Well, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing and inspired the writers so that they wrote everything that God wanted written without violating their personalities. And when we study God's Word, is, are you amazed by the organization, by the order? Uh, and we're, we just scratch the surface uh, there is so much depth to the Word of God in terms of, of, of uh, it being anything but spontaneous. So much so that Jesus could say every tiny part of it, every jot and tittle will not pass away. It's all exactly the way God wanted it to be. And this is why we can always be confident that if the Holy Spirit is moving, as we like to say, that He'll never do anything that contradicts what He's already said and done. The same Holy Spirit who inspires our worship, who touches us when we're praising Jesus, is the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures in an orderly, non-confusing, not chaotic way. And so we anchor ourselves to those things. Now, we've already talked a little bit about Theophilus. There are some commentators who think he might not yet have been saved, that he was still inquiring into Christianity. If that were the case, then the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts would be a tract written to present the Gospel to him. Now, think about that for a minute. When's the last time you saw a Gospel tract? It's this big, and it folds over. The cover always has something catchy on it, otherwise you're not going to open it. It's some play on words or, you know, something like that. And then you open it, and it's got a little bit of text but mostly pictures. And then on the back page, it tells you, you know, where to go if you want to go to church. Compare that to the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. See, because this is what you would give to somebody who was interested in Jesus in the first century. You'd give them these two manuscripts and say, here, read through this, and when you're done, you'll have a pretty good idea of who Jesus Christ was. Now, I only point that out because it seems kind of funny to me. And I like to point out that with all the advances that we've made in technology, we're getting stupider, guys. I mean, maybe not us, you know, because, but, you know, I, I mean, people will not sit and read things like that anymore. And see, this is what I was talking about earlier about media and presentation. We, we submit ourselves to the culture sometimes. Well, well nobody's going to listen to that unless we have, like, you know, flashes of light going on in the background and stuff. <laughs> unless there's some you know, syncopated rhythm going on and stuff, and so we got to draw people in. They won't listen to the Word of God anymore, and that's a lie. People love to hear the Word of God. You love to hear the Word of God, and people who don't know God, they need to hear the Word of God, and, and, and so just consider that for a while. 
It's more likely, most likely, that Theophilus was a new believer needing reassurance. He says in verse 4 that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. He had already been instructed. It's the Greek word from which we get our word catechism. Catechism class is where you learn more about who and what you believe. Theophilus needed reassurance to know the certainty of who and what he believed. You need reassurance for something you always do. You might be looking for it from a person or from your career or in a hobby or activity or even by serving in the church. Reassurance is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. It is in knowing who He is in truth as He's presented to us by God in the Gospels, and it's in knowing what He's done for you and what He has promised to go on doing for you. The Gospel of Luke will assure you and reassure you. In it, we're going to see the coming of the Savior, then the career of the Savior, and then the cross of the Savior. There will always be many trying to tell the story of Jesus. The Gospels can be trusted, and Luke's in particular can relate to us as Gentiles, the ones Jesus came seeking to save. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these words, words that are powerful and alive, Lord, because they were inspired by your Spirit, written down accurately by Luke, preserved through the centuries so that we might have them today. I pray, Lord, that we would be serious about seeing the portrait of Jesus Christ as portrayed and presented in the Gospel of Luke, in the other Gospels taken collectively, and in the Bible as a whole. Not that it's wrong necessarily or bad, Lord, to see or experience other things that are purporting to give some information about Jesus, but that we would not mistake other things for the inspired Word of God, that we would not think that is, they are better or, or more contemporary necessarily or even necessary. These Gospels, Lord, they've served their purpose for centuries, and I can't believe that it's just in the last hundred years when we've seen technology explode uh, that, uh, you know, we're the ones that uh, have the knowledge of the holy. Ground us, Lord. Keep us solid and strong and contemporary. Lord, contemporary just means that we're bringing the gospel to our own generation in our own way, sharing with others that we encountered Jesus and that He saved us from sin and death, set us free, lives within us, empowers us, strengthens us, gives us a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Those are the kind of multi-sensory experiences that people need to know about, Lord. Bless our studies through this gospel as we wait for you to return from heaven. No greater activity, Lord, than to look to you, to see you on the pages of Scripture. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand. After service, uh, the, some of our deacons will be up front like they always are to pray with you, share with you. Uh, whatever's on your heart, just come on forward and pray with those guys. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian at all. You're a seeker. Uh, come and let them share with you how that you can know Jesus Christ, how He can save you from your sin for eternity.
God bless you and keep you. Amen. Shine.